It's a time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. So this morning I want to talk about a couple things that um, not only has it caused division of the churches, but it's also caused other churches to branch out and start other churches and in this nation and around the world. And, but they are also some of the most misunderstood topics in the Bible. And when they're not properly taught in the truth in which they were written, they have the potential to give this false hope in our works rather than in our faith. And if you miss the mark on one of these, that means eternal damnation for the rest of your life. That's why it's so important that we talk about it. This morning, we're going to be talking about salvation and baptism. What is salvation? Why do we need it? How can I get salvation? Can I lose my salvation? What is baptism? Does baptism save me? I've had more conversations about salvation and baptism than any other topics in the Bible. And here's why. Because there's many people that believe that salvation only comes by works. There's many people that believe that salvation comes by faith. And yet there's people that believe that baptism washes away your sins. And some people believe that only the blood of Jesus washes away your sins. Some believe that baptism alone saves you. Some believe that baptism is just an outward sign. And some of y'all aren't going to believe anything no matter who says it. Learned that the hard way. So let's talk about salvation first. What is salvation? Salvation that comes through Christ can be described in three tenses, okay? The past, the present, and the future. When a person believes in Christ, he is saved. Acts 16, 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. In order for that to happen, something had to take place before we were even had the ability to ask Jesus to be our Savior, before we even had the ability to know that we could even be saved. We first had to be justified. 2 Corinthians 1.10, He delivered us, past from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us present. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Future. Past, present, and future. He has delivered us, he is delivering us, and he will deliver us. We learned about this in our Doctrine 102 class here at Light International School of Ministry. Christ delivers us from spiritual death, past, present, and future. Salvation can be summed up in three terms. So if you're taking notes, this is where you might want to write some things down. I'm a note taker. Salvation can be summed up in three terms. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. In understanding of the distinctions between justification, sanctification, and glorification will show clearly that salvation is past, present, and future. Spirit, soul, and body. So what is justification? What is justification? Justification refers to the act which declares a person righteous in the sight of God. Okay? In justification, we are saved from the penalty of sin. This work is not our work, but God's work. It's entirely of God. We couldn't, nothing we could do could earn the justification. And outside of us, through the imputed righteousness of God in Christ, this is done by grace 
and faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Okay? So we can't earn it. God's grace, and only God's grace, can save us. Justification is not a work on our part. It's not a work on our part. The stage of salvation begins at the first stage of salvation begins at the moment of faith. In the gospel where God declares the sinner to be righteous before him. Based on the death of Jesus Christ. So you might be asking, okay, uh, we got justification, but where does the faith come from? Well, in Romans, it talks about Romans 12, 3, that God has given each one of us a measure of faith. Everybody created past, present, and future, we've all been instilled inside of us to have a measure of faith. That measure of faith is what is given to us to allow us to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, there are gifts of faith. Don't mistake the measure of faith for a gift of faith. There are gifts of faith that God will give that you just know, you believe, and you have faith that God is going to perform miracle after miracle after miracle. Amen? But that is not the measure of faith. This is salvation past, which says, I I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. So you and about 100 people, okay, let's just paint you a picture. You're standing there in the courtroom, and you've all committed these various crimes and sins. And as you stand there, you're waiting to be sentenced. All these witnesses come forth, and they cast these accusations against you. And one by one, they accuse you of all these crimes of all these bad things that you did. And the judge, he looks out over all of you who are lost and guilty as charged. But before the sentencing begins, he goes, the judge goes back into his chambers. And when he returns, he has his only son. And he brings his only son out who's never committed a crime. He never knew a crime. He was perfect in all his ways. He did everything right. But yet the judge had him bound up in chains. And the judge looks at you with tears in his eyes and says, I am going to charge my son for your crimes, for your sins. My only son, my perfect son, who never knew a sin, who did everything right, and every charge that is against you, I'm going to sentence my only son, perfect son, to death. Instead of you. And all of your sins will be wiped clean. And we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We didn't, have, we didn't earn it. We can't buy it. We definitely don't deserve it. And it should, it should have been me. It should have been you. But it definitely shouldn't have been him. That is a picture of justification. Well, it doesn't matter what sin you committed, how bad it was, God came down and said, everybody's justified, never sinned. We've been justified in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is a picture of justification. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin. This is God's work for us. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his own love towards us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes it's hard to get that picture of why somebody would come and give their life for us. And it's hard to really fathom that because we weren't there. And that's why we have that measure of faith. 
that we believe that it happened. We believe that the Bible's been tried true and true. Every word, every comma, every period, every paragraph in it is true from beginning to end. The Alpha and the Omega, we believe that. and we, That's why we have that measure of faith, to believe that Jesus Christ justified us. Salvation is free for us, but it cost him everything. It's free for us, should we accept it, but it cost him everything. God looked down on mankind, and in one solemn act of love, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, he justified every man, woman, and child, regardless of your sin. And this is justification. It's like you walk in your house, and all your kids have done spent all the money in your bank account on Fortnite. And what do you do? They've been justified. You forgive every one of them. Regardless if, if they spent $10 or if they spent $100, you forgive them. That's a blanket forgiveness. He covered everything and every one. We don't play Fortnite at my house, by the way. So the second part of that is sanctification, which refers to a separation from sin in, in the world and a separation unto God. So in sanctification, we're separating ourselves from sin. We're separating ourselves from the world while simultaneously separating ourselves unto God. We're forsaking the world and we're moving towards Christ. In sanctification, we are saved and being saved from the power of sin. Sanctification is past and present continuous. You know, we don't earn our salvation, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit from within. 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word here, bring me safely, is the same Greek word for save, which is sozo, which means the work continues until glorification. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who has began a good work in you will begin it, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Some of us have, have good works that begin out of us. Some of us are working towards a goal. Some of us are working hard and praying and pressing in. The work that God began when he, start, when he started beginning your healing, he's going to complete it. He's going to bring it until it's complete in his time and his will. Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And don't get it confused. That scripture has nothing to do with working for salvation. So many people take that scripture and use it to justify their works. They use it to justify if you give your money, if you give your time, if you sell all your stuff, if you do all these good things in the eyes of God, you'll be forgiven and you'll have salvation. And that's not what scripture teaches. But rather, we co-operating with the Holy Spirit. In the past, salvation there was already received in justification. Let me say that again. In the past, salvation that was already received and justification. And although sanctification involves surrender and yielding to the Holy Spirit, the feat to that surrender is action. That makes sense? We are to present our bodies. We are to keep yourselves pure. You are to take up our cross daily. Exercise yourself unto godliness and work out your own salvation. There's works there. But these aren't works unto salvation. These are works after we're saved. 
These are works that we continue the process of being saved by seeking more and more after Christ, by seeing that mark, by pressing into the goal. Amen. We are progressively sanctified by being in the written word. If you want change, you've got to find the change. One of the things we always say is nothing changes if nothing changes. And if you think you're just going to sit and read one scripture every day, every morning, and think that is enough to fight against an enemy that never sleeps, I would ask you to reconsider that. We are sanctified. We, we are working towards, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to work out our own salvation. We are progressively sanctified by being in the written word. And separating ourselves from sin and the polluted thinking of the world. Be ye not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do we transform our mind? How do we renew our mind? Listen to Dr. Phil? Maybe we should listen to Oprah? No. The Bible's clear about renewing your mind through the gifts and the working of the Holy Spirit, which is through the Word of God. That is the only way we're going to renew our mind for Christ. Now, you can change and renew your mind in the world, but that's not what he's saying. We are told to resist and not to yield to unrighteousness. Romans 6, 12. We are told to strive. We are told to fight. We are told to wrestle. We are told to put to death the deeds of the body. We are told to deny our sinful ways. Subject the body. Cast off the works of darkness. Put on the whole armor of God and to cleanse ourselves and be perfecting holiness. This is things that we do through the indwelling and the power of the Holy Spirit. We work out our salvation. We stand and fight with the word of God in spiritual warfare. We cast off the acts of the world, the acts of wickedness, the acts of darkness. That's a lot of action words going on there. Well, that tells me that we're not supposed to sit back and rest. Does that mean that you ask Jesus to be your Savior, and you get saved, and you mean it with all your heart, and you do nothing else for the kingdom? Does that mean you're still saved? Absolutely. And I don't want to get into Revelation, but that's the part of Revelation. When you get saved, and you're only saved, and you do nothing else, you've got no rewards, you've got no crowns to throw at the feet of Jesus Christ, and you are part of that innumerable company that's out in the wave with all the sea of glass, waving palm branches, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But it's the ones that are striving, that are putting in the work for Christ, that are moving forward towards the kingdom. That we'll have the crowns of righteousness. The ones that overcome will have crowns. When you bring souls into the kingdom, you will have crowns. And these crowns are not for us. They're to bring them when we are caught up and, and raptured up with Christ. That we can throw these crowns at his feet. And you can't throw nobody else's crown. You can only throw yours. Just saying. Somebody else's salvation and works for Christ is not going to carry you. You've got to have your own. And remember, we, our works for Christ are after we're saved. Not we're, it's because we're saved, not to be saved. So don't, I don't want that to be confused. We're not supposed to sit back and rest, but we're supposed to get up. We're supposed to get up. We're supposed to do things. We're supposed to do exploits for the Lord. We're supposed to go out into the highways and the byways. We're supposed to go find the lost people. 
This place, this building, this, this church is just a, a place that we just come and get fed on Sundays and Wednesdays. This isn't meant to be the only church we have for the entire week. We are the church. We are the body. And we're supposed to be out witnessing, sharing, evangelizing, bringing the people in. Because when we stand before Jesus, you know what he's going to say? Hey, you're, you did good on that building committee. Uh, you, you were a good pastor. Uh, you know, he, he was going to ask you. He's gonna, you're going to be questioned. Everything you do, word and deed, will be brought before the Lord. And to each of us has been given a talent. To each of us has been given a calling. You may not physically be able to get out on the highways and the byways, but there's people you talk to every day. There's people you come into contact with. You don't have to save millions. You just have to work to witness to the people around you. And if we all do our part, if we all do the part that's been given us, if we all use the talents that's been given us and strive to perfect those and quit worrying about everybody else's talents, we'll be so much better. The body will work so much harder. And we'll, we'll, we like to say clicking like a chicken. We'll be right in target. We'll be clicking on all cylinders. But it's when I try to use Miss Sandy's talent, that's when I fall short. We're supposed to do things. We're supposed to get out. We're supposed to move. But we have to be careful not to make sanctification our work separate to the Holy Spirit's work. Amen. The work of sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit. However, Scripture clearly attests to us having a part to play in His work. We cooperate and are partakers of His holiness. Hebrews 12.10 Sanctification is the present work of the Holy Spirit from within. In justification, we don't grow. Okay, justification, it was an act that God said. He sent His Son to die on the cross. We're justified, just as if I'd never sinned. With that, we do not grow spiritually. We don't grow mentally. We don't grow physically. Yet in sanctification, we do grow We do mature. We do become better Christians. We do serve in the body. We do put our hands to the plow, if you will, and get in the Word of God and read the Word of God and study and pray and seek to know Him. And what is our greatest calling? To know Him and make Him known. That's part of sanctification. That's part of getting out. That's part of the continuing the process. And we end up, we do develop. The closer you get to Christ the more you develop as a Christian and the stronger you are. Righteousness comes by grace through faith alone, but in sanctification, we cooperate and strive and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with the Holy Spirit who is doing the work within us, Philippians 2, 12, and 13. The core of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. As sinners in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4. So now, we've talked about justification. we talked about sanctification. And the third part of that process, that we are being saved and will be saved, is glorification. Which refers to that final change and redemption of the body. In glorification, we are saved from the presence of sin in us and in the world. Romans 8, 21 that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
we will become increasingly dissatisfied with sin in our lives. The more we know the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, we will strive more and more against flesh, against sin, and against the desires of the world. The more you know Christ, the more you put him in, the more the world has to go out. We cannot serve two masters. Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And some, what that we've done is we've knocked on the door. Christ has opened the door and we've put one foot in and we left one foot out. We want to have a part in the kingdom, but we don't want to give up the part in the world. And we can't have both. In the Laodicean church, Jesus says, I would that you would be hot or cold, but that you're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. A lot of the translations have changed that to spit or, or spew, but the original word is vomit, which is an action word. That is painful. That is coming from the bowels. That makes you hurt. That makes your chest hurt, your, your, your sides. It's a, a nasty feeling. And the problem is we don't want to give up the world. We want all the benefits and all the rewards of being a Christian and being in the kingdom of God, but we don't want to do any of the work. We want to sit back and say, give me, give me, give me. And when God says, go, 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 we say, wait, wait, wait. We got it confused. We got it confused. We have to go. We have to reach the lost, develop the saved. And in the process of doing that, we become closer to Christ. The more we know the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, we will strive more and more against sin and flesh. So justification, just a little recap, justification, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We have been delivered through justification. Sanctification, we are being delivered from the power of sin. And glorification, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. So now, real quick, what is sin? We know we need to be saved. We know we've been justified. We know we're working on sanctification. We know we'll eventually we'll be, get to glorification, but what is the sin business? And you'll be amazed to know, to believe, a lot of people don't even know what it is. That's what shocks me the most, especially when I go on outreach. And I, one of the things I ask people, so, hey, uh, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Awesome. Well, how do you get to heaven? Is it by... Your works being good, or is it by the blood of Jesus Christ? And sadly, most people say, well, I'm a good person. I give my money to the poor. I give my money to feed the hungry. I'm, I, I've given my mama a car. <laughs> I bailed my brother out of jail. You know, I'm a good person. And they missed the mark. And I always question, what church do you go to that they teach your work saves you? Because your works don't save you. And then I break it down to them gently. And I say, well, this is what the Bible says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's nothing that we could do to earn it. And if we can't earn it, we can't lose it. It's a free gift. And then we talk through that whole process. And most of the time, once they realize that, once it's been explained through the works of the Holy Spirit, not me, once the Holy Spirit works through them and changes their way of thinking, because I can't change no man's thinking, then they get that revelation. Then they understand what it is. So, one, so let me tell you about sin. So in all my wisdom, okay, I was studying. I knew everything. I studied the Bible. I'm reading. I'm praying. 
you know, I'm telling everybody else what's wrong in their life. This is why you're wrong, because you got this sin. You need to bring it out. So I called pastor one day. I said, you know, pastor, I figured it out. The Bible says that God created everything. Nothing was created that was created, and it was all things were created through God. So if God created Satan in heaven as Lucifer, and Lucifer came and deceived the world and caused people to sin, so that means God created sin. And he said, hold on, cowboy. Whoa. Slow down. God did not create sin. And I was like, ah, now I feel stupid. (laughs) I've had those moments with pastor more often than I have the good ones because I always call him with these ideas and he, uh, he gently tells me the truth, how the cow eats the cabbage, as I like to say. And he said, no, God did not create sin. Sin came as a result of disobedience from Satan. And so then I said, well, does that mean angels have choice? A lot of people say they don't. Did they have choice? And I say, well, yeah, they had to have choice if they chose to sin. And so then they come down, and that's where the sin came from. It was a, a byproduct of what Satan did in the garden. It was his rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. That sin entered into the world. And several different words are found in the Greek. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but it comes up on my Bible study program, and so I like to use them because it gives me a different, a different look into things. But the general word is harmatia, which means missing the mark of the absolute holiness and righteousness of God. Now, how many of us, us have missed the mark? I've missed the mark on so many things, and that's part of being a Christian. That's part of learning. That's part of studying and praying is as you're going towards the mark, Sometimes you throw it, the spear, to hit the target, and you miss. Has anybody ever missed the target? I have. And you miss the mark. Sometimes we miss the mark in our marriage. Sometimes we're running this race, and boom, we get sidetracked. Sometimes we miss the mark with our children. We're running, we're running, we're running, we're looking at the target. We're looking at the target, and then we look up, and our kids are... Buck wild and crazy. What happened? What happened? Where did, we missed the mark with our family. Sometimes we miss the mark with our giving. Sometimes we miss the mark with our brothers when we go up to them and we, we yell at them in public and really make them feel degrading for whatever reason. Sometimes we just miss the mark in our own life where we fail to trust in God. When he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And we carry this baggage around with us. I've missed the mark many times in my life. I missed the mark before I was a Christian, and I missed the mark after I was a Christian. And the point is that I've learned about missing the mark. If Jesus is the mark, the Apostle Paul says, press towards the mark for the call and the prize of the high calling. If Jesus Christ is the mark... And I'm way back at the 50-yard line throwing footballs trying to hit this target. Chances are I'm not going to hit it. But what I've realized in my walk with Christ, the closer I get to the target, amen, the closer I get to the target, the more likely I'm going to hit something that's going to stick. And when you get close enough to the target and you start hitting them, you build up confidence. You build up strength. You build up encouragement. And you want to strive to get closer to the mark. 
but the more you back away from the mark, the more you're going to miss it, and the more you just get tired of throwing. So that's how I choose to live my life, as I try to get as close as I can to the mark. But I've also realized, okay, y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but I've also realized we're throwing at a moving target. See, we're never supposed to be dormant in our Christian walk. We're always supposed to be striving. There was never a goal set for us as Christians that we're supposed to reach here on this earth. Our goal is eternal life with Jesus Christ. So that means as a child of God, I am constantly moving towards this target that keeps moving. And as I move towards the target, it moves away from me, but I'm allowed to get close enough to it to be effective. Amen. So who else missed the target? Who else missed the target? Adam and Eve missed the target. They missed big time. So we'll talk about Adam and Eve for a moment. Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve. And the Bible says when a man leaves his, and his wife, when they get together, they leave their mother and they become one. And there's all this talk about Adam, Eve caused us to sin. It wasn't Eve. It wasn't Adam. It was both of them. They both knew the rules. They both understood that God said, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but this one, don't touch it, lest you should die. And so here we go. We have that all slithering snake. He comes sliding out of heaven, sliding into the garden, and he goes up to Eve, and he whispers in her ear, did God say, did God really say, if you eat of this, you will surely die? Yeah, he did. And then Satan said, but he knows that in the moment that you eat of this fruit, you shall know good and evil and be like God. And that was enticing to her. See, everything we do as Christians is going to be tested by fire. Everything we do as Christians, our faith will be tested. What good is is believing and having love if it's forced? If I've never had anything to bounce off of it, if all I've known is good, how do I know how strong my faith is? So they sinned. And everybody wants to curse the snake. And yes, the snake was cursed, but the snake was just an animal that Adam named, by the way. It wasn't the snake that did the damage. It was the evil Satan serpent that inhabited the snake. And then I asked the question, well, why didn't they think it was odd that this snake was talking? I mean, really? I would have thought I would have took off running. Any snake talks to me. But then I realized that everything they were doing in the Garden of Eden was brand new. Adam named, see, we had, this, we had dominion in the garden. God gave us authority to rule and reign on the earth, and we gave that up to Satan when we sinned. And everything that we did in the garden was brand new. All the animals we named, every experience, every tree. So why would Adam and Eve think anything different from a snake talking to them? So they sinned. And when they sinned, God came into the garden, and he said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? And what did Adam say? Oh, we hid. We were afraid because we were naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you done what I told you not to do? And so there was a, a, God killed an animal. He clothed Adam and Eve with the skins. And then you fast forward to 2,000 or some odd years later when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I want to paint a picture of salvation in the Garden of Eden. That Jesus was there in the beginning. From day one, he was always there. He never left. The sacrifice that was in the Garden of Eden, of the animal that God killed, 
that God's sacrifice is symbolic for Jesus Christ as the lamb that went to the slaughter. The blood that was shed from the animal in the Garden of Eden is symbolic for the blood of Jesus Christ. The covering in the Garden of Eden that covered Adam and Eve's nakedness, which is reflective and symbolic of our sin, is the same as Jesus covering our sin. So it was there in the beginning. Then they come on through chapter 6. God said, I'm just, I'm tired of you. People, what have I done? Every intent of your heart is only evil. What am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start fresh. A clean slate. So in Genesis chapter 7, what did God do? He, he flooded the earth. And the first thing, nobody believed Adam and Eve. I mean, nobody believed Noah that God was going to bring a flood because they'd never seen rain. It only mist came up from the ground. They didn't know what rain was. But it came nonetheless. And the people that were saved in the ark was eight people. And I always, and this is one of my favorite sayings, and y'all, y'all hear it all the time, about being true into your calling. God spoke to Noah one time, gave him a mission, gave him a calling. He didn't speak to him again for 120 years, but he remained faithful. We can't remain faithful from Sunday to Wednesday. I've been there. I've done that. I can't hear from God, so I just assume that whatever my heart desires, I'm going to go ahead and go forth. And sometimes I like to help God, you know what I mean? Help God make decisions at my job. Help God make decisions on relationships. Well, they kind of like Jesus. And here we go. We don't listen. So anyways, they got on this boat. They got, which, and also that is also symbolic for salvation. God is the ark. The people being saved through the flood is salvation. But that also, in 1 Peter, it talks about that being baptism. Is a symbol of baptism. When they came through the flood, Noah, his wife, his three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their three wives, eight people. And I've talked about this before. Eight in numerical Hebrew is symbolic for new beginning. Amen. New beginning, a new life. They came through the water. They came through the flood. They were baptized. So what is baptism? Why did these people get baptized this morning? To wash their sins away? To save them? That's why it's important that we understand the scripture. That's why it's important that we rightfully divide the word of God. And not just take one scripture and read it and say, all of a sudden, this is what it means. You have to read what it means before, and you have to read what it means after. You've got to get the whole picture. If you turn in your Bibles to Acts 2.38, I'm going to tell you why. Acts 2.38, they're asking Peter, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So if you're a new Christian and you open your Bible and you want to know what it means to be saved and have your sins forgiven and you turn to Acts 2.38 and it says, repent and be baptized and your sins will be forgiven, you're going to think that baptism forgives your sins. When it does not. But when you understand that that word for, repent and be baptized for, when you take it back to the original Greek it was written in, or Hebrew, it means because of. So really what the scripture says, repent and be baptized because of the remission of your sins. Baptism never saves you. Baptism is how we identify with Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. We were buried with him in death. And we were raised to newness of life. You can be, go down and be baptized 
a dry center and come up a wet center. You can be under the water and not under the blood. Baptism is a work. Baptism is, is an outward expression of a change that's already happened on the inside of us. Baptism doesn't save you. It'll never save you. And if you don't get baptized, that doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. Well, what proof do I have? The proof that I have is the thief on the cross next to Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, today you will see me in paradise. That thief was never baptized. So we get baptized. We come up here and when we get in the water and we get baptized, what I'm saying, what we're saying is, hey, my family, my friends, I'm publicly announcing that I am going to live for Jesus Christ. I am making a statement that I have changed my life. I want you to see it. I want everybody to see it. And I want you to hold me accountable because I am a new Christian. I am young in faith and I do have struggles. And when I get baptized, that means I'm giving you permission, Miss Sandy, that if you see me twisting off to call me up and say, hey, Tim, put the cap on, slow down, (laughs) you know? We, and then we hold each other accountable. And then after that, we start that whole new process. Because we're always moving towards the goal, right? We're always moving towards the target. Salvation, baptism, and then discipleship. And usually that's where the buck stops. Usually we get saved and we get baptized, and that's it. But it's okay. You're still going to go to heaven. Baptism is a work. Baptism is, does not save you. It will not save you. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So baptism, if baptism can save you while we're still on it, then Jesus died in vain. If I can go and get dunked in a pool... And come up and say, I got baptized and now I'm saved. Who gets the glory? I do. Because I baptized and got baptized and I saved myself. So who gets, who, who's supposed to get the glory? Jesus Christ. If baptism saves you, then Christ died in vain. Am I making sense or am I mumbling up here? Baptism could save you. Jesus died in vain. Baptism is a work. It's an outward expression of something that we've already experienced on the inside. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That grace is something we struggle with as men and women. We have a hard time receiving things. We have a hard time understanding that grace. What is grace? What is real grace? It means getting something you didn't deserve. For by grace, I got something I didn't deserve. I couldn't earn it. It's God's grace. It's only by God's grace that we have been saved. And we have been saved from the penalty of eternal death. And here's one thing that I always tell people. And I want you to get this in your soul and get this in your spirit. Whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or you're a sinner living in the world, you will have eternal life. Understand that. Where you choose to spend it is up to you. You will have eternal life. Where you choose to spend it is up to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That goes back to that measure of faith 
that we've been given that allows me to pray the prayer of salvation. Romans 10 out of 10, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with your heart, you believe unto righteousness. With your mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And that goes back, there's power in your words. When you confess it, it goes out. I'm confessing you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. We've been saved through faith, not of works. And I'm so glad, praise God, that none of my works can save me. Because my works are, are but filthy rags, according to the Bible. Thank God my works can't save me. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. But you know what is also amazing and great about the fact that we can't earn our salvation? We can't lose it. If you can't do anything to earn it, you surely can't do anything to lose it. So yes, we here at Light Christian Center, we believe once saved, always saved. We have the assurance of the believer. There's plenty of scripture that tells you that you cannot lose your salvation. Amen? When Jesus was crucified, he paid the penalty for every one of us. By his blood and only by his blood, we are saved and that our sins have been forgiven. God has forgiven us of our sins when we ask him to. And Pastor and I talked about this on Thursday. What is forgiveness? How do we receive forgiveness? And it was, he explained it to me in the sense that if Miss Sandy, if I asked Miss Sandy, do you have $20 I can borrow? And she reaches out with a $20 bill. And I turn and walk away. She gave it, but I didn't receive it. Right? So then I come back. Hey, can I borrow $20 again? Sure. She extends her hand with the 20 which let's just say that's forgiveness. Will you forgive me? She extends forgiveness, and we turn and walk away. The problem is we don't ever receive forgiveness, so we spend our entire life carrying these backpacks full of unforgiveness for how we've treated people, how people's treated us, the bads we've done, the, the wrongs we've done to other people. We have to receive it. And a lot of times I'll say, can I, uh, will you forgive me? And she'll extend the hand of forgiveness. Jesus will extend his hand of forgiveness. And what do we say? Oh, man, you know, I really messed up. Ain't nobody going to forgive me. I don't deserve forgiveness. And then we don't receive it again. Forgiveness is a gift. Also, when we ask forgiveness and it's extended, we have to wrap, grab it and wrap it around us. We have to cover ourselves in it. Because if you don't, you walk around with all this unnecessary baggage and you can't run and keep up with the moving target if you're carrying all this baggage. You've got to break them off. Get them grave clothes off. Get that forgiveness, unforgiveness, bitterness. Shake it off of you and move forward. Justification. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Sanctification. We are being delivered from the power of sin. Glorification. We will be delivered from the presence of sin. We can't earn salvation. It is a free gift. John 3, 16. Get that in your spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It is a gift. It is freedom. Once you receive that and believe it, and if we can't earn it, that means we can't lose it. Once you're truly saved, you will spend eternity in heaven. Baptism. We identify with Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save us. It doesn't forgive our sins. We identify with the death, burial, and resurrection. And then forgiveness. It's been given, 
but we have to receive it. One of the first scriptures I ever memorized was 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. That means old habits. That means old girlfriends, old boyfriends, old attitudes, old unforgiveness. Everything old has passed away. All things become new. Now I'm a new creation in Christ. So when I'm moving forward, everything I'm doing is new for Jesus. Hey, this is Pastor Paul Golden. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe, rate it, and review. Also, you can help us to reach others by investing today at likechristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you for joining us on LCC's podcast. God bless you and have a great day.